Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the May 3rd, 2016 edition of Ask a Leader. After the recent National Acceptance Day for graduate programs in genetic counseling, we'll tap into what a group of UCI students aspire with this leading edge practice. Genetic counseling encompasses an extensive array of services from prenatal all the way to geriatric screening. We'll be right back after a very short station break. Welcome back, everybody. My guests are Jessica Greenwood, Brittany Kaiser, and Kira Lee, all aspiring genetic counselors at the leading edge of the fascinating junction of biology and ethics. Jessica and Brittany are co-founders and officers of UCI's, and everybody write this down now, you gotta take these important notes, UCI's Genetic Counseling Special Interest Group, which they founded the summer of 2015. Brittany, originally from San Diego, graduated last year at UCI, and she currently works at Hogue Hospital as a genetic counseling assistant. And this fall, we'll be heading to New York to attend Mount Sinai Graduate Program for Genetic Counseling. Jessica from Southern California has long maintained an interest in genetics, and through her undergraduate coursework, various activities, and meeting new people, has found that rather than a pediatric career, genetic counseling has the mix that really suits her. Jessica will graduate this June, which is, of course, next month, if you're listening live. Kira Lee is a member with plans of running for an office at this club. Originally from San Diego, Kira took some time off midway through her undergraduate program to travel and continues to work on a website business. Kira is a second-year public health major. Because a few weeks ago was National Acceptance Day, where students were admitted to graduate school programs in genetic, genetic counseling, we all thought it would be a good idea to take up this growing and essential field. UCI's own graduate program started in 1973, one of three programs in California and 32 around the country. UCI's program boasts now 100 graduates. The program is a two-year full-time graduate program where four to six only students are admitted each year. It is my pleasure to have Brittany, Jessica, and Kira join me in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, ladies. Thank you. That's a, that's one voice. That's, <laughs> that's Brittany. Thank you. That's Brittany. And this is, we're getting little voice prints here. This is Jessica Hello. And, and Kira. Hi, this is Kira. Okay, fine. Well, first, Brittany, the big, the big general one, genetic counseling is many practices from pre-cradle. We can't say cradle to cradle. This is pre-cradle all the way to geriatric needs. What is genetic counseling? Yeah, so genetic counseling is a profession that provides information and support to individuals who either have a genetic condition or may be at risk for a genetic condition. Like you said, if someone's maybe having a, if they're pregnant and they have, you know, a child with Down syndrome, or even all the way up to somebody who has maybe a family history of breast cancer or a family history of cardiovascular disease, that's where genetic counselors come in. They are that support system. They're that information source for these patients. A lot of information. <laughs> I mean, more, and we're going to talk about that, that it's so much information that's, that you are the kind of, uh, I don't know, do they ever use the word oracle? 
You know, that's a word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely you're that resource resource for the patient. And a lot of times you'll have patients coming to you that maybe haven't heard of these things before. And this is their first experience with that. And you kind of are the one that brings them to light for that. And what, what drew you to this field? Well, for me, I was actually fortunate enough to go to a high school that offered a genetics course. And during my time in that class, my teacher was exceptional and she really kind of promoted a bunch of different careers in genetics. And one of the ones that she brought to light was um, genetic counseling. And it was one that really kind of resounded with me. And I was, you know, I really liked the statistics aspect of it. I liked the risk assessment. And then also, of course, being able to have that one-on-one patient contact and being that resource for the patients. Okay. Well, Jessica and Kira, uh, tell us about how you found the undergraduate club genetic counseling special interest group that Brittany established, that, that both of you did actually, Brittany and Jessica. What drew you to this club? Um, so as a genetics major at UCI, um, they have a genetics major seminar and that's where I met Brittany. I heard that she's a research assistant for a genetic counselor at UCI, so I approached her about that. We together um, discovered that Uh, UCI is lacking awareness in the field, and also the field in general is lacking diversity. And we thought starting a student interest group like the one at UCLA would be a great opportunity for students at UCI to be able to learn about the career and also increase this uh, the lack of diversity in the career. And we'll open up that entire question about why uh, that diversity serves the practice here. But and so, uh, Kira, what drew you to this club? Okay, so um, I'm not a founding father, and I actually just found out about this club not, you know, not even a month ago. It was actually, I just saw a sign on campus. And, you know, what, what I was, I really got into this field, you know, years ago because my father was actually a pioneer in the genetics field. So I've been immersed in this kind of genetics community for a while now. Um, you know, I've like tried 23andMe services, you know, I've done a lot, I've been to a lot of ASHG meetings, and so... I'm sorry, what does 23andMe mean? Oh, 23andMe is a company, um, it's a, like a genotyping gene sequence, you know, testing company, Okay. and it gives you health reports, and, you know, ancestry, all on, you know, genes, and, you know, I've been really interested in that, I've been interested in you know, trying to find, you know, genetics club, but then I found that, you know, a, a genetics, um, genetic, or I'm sorry, um, a genetic counseling special interest group already existed, which was so surprising. It's a very small, you know, s- niche. So I thought, you know, that's just perfect. I, mm-hmm. it was, it was just so perfect and it's so necessary because, you know, within 10 years, you know, genetic counseling, this field will blow up because, it's going to be a necessary part of our healthcare practice, you know, especially in developed countries for everyone to go through genetic testing, not just patients, but even healthy people. And, you know, this, this is, you know, the old concept of genetic counselors were just um, people who, you know, they like determined risk factors for hereditary diseases for patients and like prospective mothers. But now, you know, they deal with a lot of healthy people, you know, they, you know, they deal with a lot of clinical things, they deal with just, you know, fitness, nutrition, or like cosmetic advice, and it's all, you know, it starts with gene sequencing, and doctors aren't really allowed, they're not really allowed, they don't have time to give these kinds of patient interaction kind of 
um, advice and scientists are definitely not qualified for that either so there's this gap that someone needs to fill and this is where genetic counselors come in so you know there's such there's going to be such a demand but not enough people so this club is really necessary well i think you're under uh, underestimated it's, i don't think it's in the future i think it's in the present because there are so many entrepreneurs developing gene sequencing uh, mechanisms and are are peddling their wares and it's a sort of uh, i think it, they're sort of, they're providing this without the benefit of first pre-screening is like screening screening to find mm -hmm. out if the person can deal with the data what what how they'll understand the data what will they do about the data and so uh, that's uh, it's sort of essential that you are involved at the very beginning of this is whether one should even get the testing and, and I mean that's part of the decision I mean whether right. about that so you Brittany you have some distinct reactions here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really vital for, like Kira said, these genetic counselors to be that kind of in-between, that middleman between the doctor and the patient or the, sci or the laboratory and the patient because they're doing a career that others can't and they're providing a resource that the patients need. And it's something that's incredibly vital. And like you said, it, it it's not just the future, it's definitely in the present. As more and more genes are discovered, as more genes have are shown to be important for certain hereditary conditions, that's where genetic counselors are coming in. And you're, are you also in a position to say it's not the, it's not a, a, a um, what do you call it? A binomial variable. It's it's that's yes or no. That the uh, you ha you have the gene. Yes, you have that uh, that disease. You have that. Um, I'm not sure what other word to put in there. Syndrome, but it's a matter that probabilities may change. But yeah. it's and probabilities are different. People don't still don't know how to interpret. If you have a a uh, if your risk increases 50 percent, but the that increase doesn't mean uh, if there's you're 92 percent uh, not likely to have that syndrome, and it, that comes down from 94 percent not likely, that that was a 20 percent increase in well, not quite 20. I'll <laughs> do the number there, but it, so it's it's misleading to know so many of how these statistics break down with with risk factors. Yeah, exactly, and so one of the main jobs of a genetic counselor is not only to, you know, receive the results and give those results to the patient, but to give them to the patient in a way that's understandable. You know, you may have um, a BRCA1 or 2 mutation that puts you at a higher risk Which for breast, breast cancer. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you will get breast cancer. You may go your whole life without ever getting it, just like how not having that mutation, you still may get it. It's just more information for the patient and gives them the opportunity to make lifestyle changes or to you know, start screening early for these types of things. It makes them more aware of who they are as a person and what types of risks they have associated with their own life and whatnot. If you've just tuned in, you want to know where all this lively, <laughs> leading-edge discussion is coming from, you're listening to my three guests, Jessica Greenwood, Brittany Kaiser, and Kira Lee. They are co-founders and and member, uh, respectively, of UCI's Genetic Counseling Special Interest Group, all at various stages of launching their careers in the leading edge field of genetic counseling here on Ask a Leader, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. 
they are here to give us these glimpses over this edge. Well, it's uh, we're we're heading now into that uh, that diversity issue. That genetic counseling is largely a feminized career. You've mentioned as uh, we were preparing for this that. Uh, 94 to 96% of the positions are held by women. This has ramifications. They're obvious and not so obvious for the practice. Tell us, all, all three of you, why this is important and how your group's been addressing this issue. Jessica. So, so this is an important issue because sometimes patients just feel more comfortable speaking to someone who is more like them, of a certain ethnic background, maybe speaks their language, and there is the possibility for counselors to use interpreters when your patient speaks another language, but that just adds another third party into your private um, counseling. So increasing the diversity of this career is very important, and um, we're doing that by allowing anyone of any major to join our club to learn about genetic counseling and at a college campus, there's just so many languages represented, so many cultures. And if we can uh, provide uh, a group for students to learn about genetic counseling, then we think we'll be able to help with this diversity problem in the field. Well, I'm, I'm also thinking about the not just a, um, a reflection of the counselor uh, back on the person, making them feel more comfortable, but the, the role that a a genetic counselor of a similar culture has in reading, understanding cultural cues, uh, different cues right. that the patient, so they know how the how to respond with the patient's response to the the data. Exactly. So, would you say that the club is now ref is how how are you doing? How successful is the club in in reflecting greater diversity, including bringing males on board, because they just aren't there in those offices. Yeah, exactly. So for our club, it's been great. It's been able, we've been able to see this diversity take place. When Jessica and I both first started this group, we weren't sure where it was going or if we were going to be able to have this diversity. But now, I mean, we have people of just about every background, just about every major on campus. And we have, you know, I, I believe we have fair portion of our club is actually male and oh, really? okay. yeah and so it's been great seeing this group on campus that's potentially going to be the future of this career and there's just so much diversity in it and what is the majority in the field right now is not what's the majority in our club and that's been so kind of eye-opening to see and it's also brings us into the idea that maybe it's just because people don't know about the field P maybe right. it's something that's only being you know word of mouth to a select group of people and that's what our club is coming on campus to do is just to spread out the word to other majors and let everyone know that anyone can be a genetic counselor well walk us through a little bit maybe about uh, uncanny matches where somebody from a different major gets that kind of light bulb turn on about the, the fit for them, the appeal of genetic counseling to them. Absolutely. You must have some good stories. Yeah, yeah. We have, um, I know we have an anthropology major who really enjoyed, you know, the more sciencey side of anthropology and realized that genetic counseling might be a good field for her. I know we've also had, um, we've heard of people coming from dance majors. We've had people coming from a bunch of different arts majors where, Maybe if their field or their current major doesn't reflect 
the field itself, they have personal stories and personal mm-hmm. histories that have brought them to the field where they've become aware of it in some way or some form. And it was something that they had a great experience with and they decided that they wanted to be a part of it as well. Either Kira or Jessica have something, some tellings? Yeah, um, one thing that's really uh, exciting, our president for the club for next year is actually, um, his name is Steven Zapeta, and right now he's a genetics and religious studies major, which is something kind of unheard of for genetic counseling, um, because there's, you know, a lot of ethical dilemmas that might come, and sometimes people with a religious background might not agree with some of the ethics involved in genetic counseling and it's just really awesome that we have someone who's just has such a unique background um, who's going to represent the club next year so uh, does he um, bring something to the the kind of methodology about what the sort of the theology mm-hmm. in and the tweaking of how the data is pursued, how it's interpreted, and that kind of thing. Uh, is there any example about what he's doing with that? Or um, he, he has a role here. Right. I think with his religious background, it's more just learning about a lot of different li- religions and cultures. It's okay. actually made him more open-minded. Okay. So he he's heard, he's studied a, a lot of religions. He's not focused on any. So I think that's actually made him more open-minded to different beliefs and values. Okay. Kira, any? Oh, no, you witnessed? Been, no, it was perfect. Uh, but I have nothing to <laughs> add. At this point. Well, uh, I want to know, so you, you fanned out around the campus and, uh, and so reaching out to so many different anteaters. And so <laughs> Is this something that UCLA is now envious of? That where UCLA is take UCI has taken their template and run with it. I mean, I, I mean, are you checking back with each other's programs? Is there? I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, absolutely. So UCLA modeled. They first were the first program, um, or I should say, organization or club that actually founded a genetic counseling club. And I believe I, maybe in the country, maybe. Um, but they were one of the first ones, and their whole motivation was the fact that UCI, so close to them, has a genetic counseling program. And so we were thinking, after meeting up with a couple of the UCLA people, why do we not have a club on our campus when we're the one that has the program? And so they've been incredibly instrumental and incredibly wonderful to work with. We've been able to model our club based off of their kind of model that they've established that's interesting without the program they made a home for that yeah it, and yeah. they and some of them may have been in the the admissions classes that have come to to uci wow, yeah that's remarkable how that works out. yeah well Brittany, i want to congratulate you on your admission thank you and uh what is it what about that program drew you to them you had 32 perhaps i don't know how many applied to did you apply to uci I did, yes. Okay. I applied to uh, UCI and then two of the schools in okay. New York. Um, so what drew you to this program? So during my interviews at this program, I I was really drawn to it because they are going out of their way to make sure that it's not just a genetic counseling program. It's mm. much more than that. Okay. It's a program where you're taking classes with medical students, where you're taking classes with PhD students, and you're learning about you know future doctors' perspectives, and at the same time, doctors and potential researchers are learning about the genetic counseling perspective, and you're working together as a team to do this. 
and they have a lot of programs. There's one called Prenatal Partners, and that's where a genetic counseling student is actually paired up with a medical student, and you're both, you know, kind of assigned to a woman during her pregnancy, and you kind of get to follow her through that. And it's beneficial for both parties, both genetic counseling and for the medical side. And then also for Mount Sinai, they have a wonderful opportunity where for every program you have to do rotations and many programs focus on what we call the big three, which are pediatric, prenatal, and cancer. And um, for Mount Sinai, it's a little bit different. They have those three, but then they also have more. They have their own cardiovascular rotation. They have an industry rotation, which is more laboratory-based. And they're really kind of exploring the emerging fields of genetic counseling, those fields that aren't as well known, but are going to be just as important in the near future. I'm really curious, are they, do they include a unit that considers dementia? They have different internships that are available for looking at neurodegenerative disorders, and they actually do testing on site at the hospital. So you're seeing a wide variety of patients, and um, that is, like you said, that's an emerging field, and that's um, definitely something that they are looking into and doing as well, and that you get experience in being a part of that program. I know, because Josh Grill at UCI Mind has made very important cases for how the genetic testing is a, um, a tool that has implications for how a, a patient is going to respond for the rest of their string of choices. Absolutely. And, and, uh, many, uh, some heady, heady choices. Well, uh, what are, Kira and Jessica, what kind of programs are going to draw you? Are, are you, you're... Now, you are, Jessica, you, you've got a, a year, you're going to go to work, right? and you're going to apply over this, you'll start, you'll apply this coming fall right? for entrance into the, let's see, that makes it 2017 fall. Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of programs are, are drawing you? So I'm also looking for programs that um, are not just focused on the big three, like Brittany mentioned. Uh-huh. But a big thing for me is to be able to uh, conduct my own research. Um, Not a lot of people think genetic counselors might actually do their own research, but they do. In your master's program, you have to conduct a thesis project. And I know some programs you're assigned a project or you have to piggyback on um, someone else's project. And I... Uh, I enjoy doing research and all the statistics that go with it. Wow. And so I'm looking forward to a program where I can really just pave my way and uh, conduct my own research project. Okay. Kira? I'm with Jessica on that one. Instead of going the more traditional route, I wanted to you know, get into a program that reflects what Jessica said, conduct my own research. And now genetic counselors have the opportunity to set up their own private practice before they were just part of a hospital or, you know, but, you know, now they can. Or companies. Are companies. Yeah, right, right. Are, are biotech companies. Sequencing companies. Are they they're hiring some? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Like they're blowing up. They're looking for genetic counselors all over the world. And so that's also a, another option. But, you know, what I was looking more yes. forward to was just private practice kind of thing well i this is off script i don't mm-hmm. want to broadside uh, you with this but have any of you three ever had your own any kind of genetic testing i have um, not, we're not asking for specific i just want to okay. have you been on the other side of your services no <laughs> yeah i have not as well but it's something that um once again there's 
it's more for people who, you know, have a condition that they're concerned about or have a family history of something. I've been fortunate enough to not have that. But at the same time, as the, you know, genome is getting sequenced at a cheaper cost and whatnot, we're looking at a potential for in the future having, you know, personalized medicine and things like that. And that's something that's, you know, really revolutionary and exciting to be a part of. And that's something that I definitely look forward to. For those of you who just tuned in, this is Ask a Leader on 88.9 FM in Irvine, and we have the pleasure of hearing from these illustrious women, Jessica Greenwood, Brittany Kaiser, their co-founders, and Kirli, a member of UCI's Genetic Counseling Special Interest Group. This is a public service announcement for everybody to check out. When is your next meeting? Um, our next meeting will be this Thursday at yeah. uh, 6.30 in PSLH, and what uh, room is it, Jessica? It is PSCB, Physical Science Classroom Building, room 210. That's on the second floor. Okay, we, I don't know which uh, square that is on the <laughs> campus, PSCB, but we'll, uh, it's, but you can find that, though, on the, the Anteater map there. So 6.30, and that's, uh, that's a bi-monthly meeting. How often do you meet? So if people S- say, oh, right. I didn't know in time, then the... How often, when will they catch the next wave? So we actually meet every week, every Thursday at the same time. All right. There's no missing this. So you just keep bringing in new people all the time and mm-hmm. well, I'm just wondering if any engineers show up, just somebody who sort of switches their code from, uh, you know, um, an, any, any name the uh, engineering field and they think, no, this, this is more my, my zone. Well, you know, you have people trying out a bunch of different careers and whatnot, and I know that we've had several people who are maybe in, like, you know, biomedical engineering or even chemical engineering Uh who are, you know, fascinated still by the field of genetics and what can be done with, like, you know, gene editing and things like that in research. And while that's not necessarily, you know, genetic counseling, it's still within that same field, and I know that they're definitely interested, and we've had quite a few interested parties come in. Just even even if you don't want to be a genetic counselor, just learning about the field and coming in and seeing what genetic counselors do can help a lot of different fields, knowing that there's that resource out there to go to if you ever have a question about that type of thing. Well, are some people just coming in because they're curious because they see themselves as prospective consumers? They, they want to look at it from the consumer side. Yeah, we have had people, um, we, we have booths around campus, we oh, have just booths at, uh, at like involvement fairs and stuff, and sometimes people come approach our group, our uh, table, and ask, you know, they ask us questions as if we're genetic counselors, and they ask, you know, how can they seek genetic counseling, so we obviously can't provide them genetic counseling services, but... We do explain that we're a group of students who are interested in being genetic counselors, and we can give some basic information on how someone might seek genetic counseling. Anything, Kira? Any no, oh no, demand to that. <laughs> well, we've talked a bit about the trends here. As I say, that the in- industry is literally clamoring to offer everyone increasingly expensive genetic testing. So this. The sequencing price is coming down ex- almost exponentially, I'm guessing. And so you're the ones that the consumer, uh, you're, you're there to, to protect the consumer. We know the, um, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act of 2008, it only protects 
it's only goes so far in protecting people. What did you have to say about how the data, once it has been collected, it's uh, how, what kind of mechanisms for protecting patients with that data are in place and what's the trend in, in protecting that data? Yeah, definitely. So right now there's a lot of work going on at the you know state level and government level where a lot of insurance companies are actually requiring patients who have genetic testing to also seek genetic counseling. That way they're aware of their rights and that way they can always argue their points if an issue were to ever come up. And genetic counselors are also responsible for, you know, revealing, you know, why these results are significant, why they can't be, you know, discriminated against based off of these results. And that burden kind of falls on the genetic counselor. And it's up to you to, you know, explain not just, you know, the scientific side of this, but also the legal aspects of it and what the ramifications are of having these types of, you know, results or whatnot, and how the patient ultimately is not affected by their genetics. So, are, I mean, how, how do you feel about the, the, the ability to protect that data? Are you, um, I mean, that is a tremendous genie. It's a four-dimensional genie coming out of the bottle, saying so much that can be second-guessed and insurance coverage, employment. Some people used to think about it in terms of college admissions. If some, somebody's going to want Colleges don't want to gamble on somebody with they, with a some disposition toward a you know er, earlier mortality and that kind of a thing. So, uh, I, what's your sense of the the degree of protection of this data? I think that there's a very high degree of protection, just because, like you said, or how we talked about at the beginning, this is a risk a risk assessment. It's not a you know, in some cases it is a diagnosis, in other cases it's just, you know, an increase of risk. And there is a knowledge gap between what goes on in a patient interaction in a, you know, enclosed private space and what's understood by the general public. And that's where there's kind of an information gap um, at play. And so it's up to genetic counselors not only to advocate for their patients in a medical setting, but also to advocate for their patients and people in their field at mm -hmm. a state or government level, just so that they know that these results have a lot of different meanings and it's not, you know, worth any type of discrimination if there's a possibility of no risk or even being able to, you know, function completely fine within a normal society. Because I, I really do want to know about that dimension of your own practice, how you learn in your group, your club activity and classes and later on in uh, ethics training um, and as you get your credentials, how you see yourself separating your personal considerations from your professional work. Jessica first. So um, with genetic counselors, you might find yourself in the situation where your patient's best interests don't match your own beliefs. But the important thing to remember is that as a genetic counselor, you are the advocate for that person's health and their um, best interest to them will has to be the most important thing to you. And you have to come in with this mentality of service before self, um, you are there. You are their uh, personal advocate for their health, and 
um, you have to separate your own beliefs from theirs. I understand you have to. That's it's it's a given that you have to. I'm just wondering how how that is, <laughs> you know, mediated in your own, you know, in your own in your, in your own selves. So, Brittany. Yeah, and I, I and maybe you can tell us. Uh, uh, come back and report back when you're <laughs> year one or year two, but uh, you know how that's uh, being addressed with m methods and practice courses too. Absolutely, yeah. The there's in every single program you're going to have ethics courses that delve into those harder topics because, it, after all, it, it's not an easy field. It's like Jessica said, you're going to be put to the test sometimes where the patient's desires and wants are not necessarily what you would have done in their situation or you know in your mind that that's not the best thing. But if that's what they want, it's not your job to tell them that that's the wrong decision. It's your job to give them the resources that they need to make that decision as easy as possible for them. And to not only make that transition at the immediate level, but also throughout a lifetime. And, and Kara, you were talking in the introduction that, that you're, you've sort of been macerating in this genetic field for you know it, it from home and maybe over the dinner table and other places that inform you how you would deal with separating personal considerations from a professional practice um well you know as jessica and Brittany already said it, it's really important you know your the, the patient or you know your client might have different viewpoints they you know, you're just there to sort of hold their hand and, you know, let them know what kind of options they have and present them and kind of maybe make, make recommendations. But in the end, it's all up to them. And, you know, you have to separate your personal considerations from what what they might what they might want or need. Well, uh, and how uh, we, we were talking about four to six people are admitted at UCI's program. Do you know how large the cohort is going to be at Mount Sinai? Brittany? Uh, um, I know that in the past it kind of varies. Um, I know the last class was, I believe, eight. Um, and that tends to run, for most programs, it's usually around six to eight students so that are this accepted. Is, it's a remarkable sort of a, a cohort to be educated in. It's so, such an intimate kind of uh, um, level. I mean, a, a, such an intimate scale. Absolutely. So it must, and, but, uh, but it's... And, but you're going to be cycling through other different practices, so it's going to s expand the actual kind of seminar experience and that kind of thing. But it just, it's interesting. You s you're s by signing on to this graduate program, you're signing on to one small crowd. Absolutely. And from this small group, you make you know, very important connections. I know of a lot of genetic counselors that talk about how one of the first people they call up when they have a difficult case is someone that they know from their you know, graduate study that, you know, maybe did their thesis on that type of person. And since you're all coming from different backgrounds, you're all going to be genetic counselors, but you're all educated the same way. That kind of gives you, you know, a similar foundation and a similar, you know, jumping off point so that you know that you can always go back to that small little cohort and you're able to, you know, make those close emotional and necessary even career bonds before even entering the field. Well, I, I'll ask next time. It's not in this script, but the next time we, are get, we get together, I want to ask about how, ge I mean, genetic counselors are dealing with family members for a, a member who's there, who's getting screened, and also the, um, let's say there's a post-mortem screening too. And so what, 
what the family decides to do about the you know, screen that parent to know whether there's th that proclivity in their, that predisposition in the ones that are surviving that that family member. So we'll, we'll go into some of those things. I mean, this like spans over <laughs> generations and, and it's a whole different situation. It's, you're not consenting a uh, consulting with the, the now deceased person, but that deceased person has data that has ramifications. So we'll, we'll go into that the next time, hope that we can get together. Well, I, Brittany, Jessica, and Kira, I really want to thank you. It's been a real pleasure covering your work in this extraordinary field, and I wish all three of you best wishes in your bright futures in genetic counseling. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Well, that was Jessica Greenwood, Brittany Kaiser, and Kira Lee, their officer, respectively, of UCI's Genetic Counseling Special Interest Group. We'll be right back. I want to just let you know about next week. We're going to head deeper into the uh, California primary season here from Orange County Registrar Voters, Neil Kelly. It's another time to remind one and all to be sure that you are registered to vote. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.